Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. You are the laboratory. Tell your neighbor you are the lab. You are in the lab. Right? Everything gets tested here before we export it to the nations. Right? And you know what, what usually happens in laboratory testings? Um, states are controlled. You have to control states to test things. Not so? So you set conditions. If you're, setting, if you're testing for temperature, you control the temperature. There's wind or whatever. And so it's routine. It's very controlled, very, very safe environment. And once the, the principle is tested, it can be exported to the known environment. But in the known environment, there are variables that perhaps laboratory testing doesn't take account for. You know? And um, so what I've discovered is a lot of the times when we go out, because... Um, you see, you can test a lab rat with a particular whatever you're testing for over an extended period of time. And the, the, sometimes the test might be inconclusive because the, the item being tested, in this case the rat, develops routine. Some rats are very clever too. <laughs> right? and, and sometimes results might be verifiable or valid simply because of... Um, the environment's far too controlled and the result almost anticipated. And if you, if you know research, you'll know what I'm, what I'm talking about, uh, stats, analysis, etc. And I want to encourage you, um, I've discovered this, that um, a lot of the time when we go out, there is firstly a word tested that is now released again. Right? But also there's the element that is unmistakable. It's sheer passion, sheer desire that draws upon you, that pulls. So if you don't pull upon me, there's certain levels that I can't release. Literally can't. It's a biblical principle. Paul said it like this to the Corinthians. He said, oh Corinthians, I will go even to the regions beyond you only when your faith is increased. To the Corinthians he also said, I could not speak to you as spiritual but as carnal for you are still in your Sins. You're still on milk. Okay? And so I want to encourage you, develop a passion and a, and a pull. You take the speaking of God to the, next, to the next level. If you sit without desire, then God meets you on your level. It's got nothing to do with the preacher. You determine what you want. If you sit with hunger and there's a pull and you, you see the speaking, this is a principle that uh, Sam Solon taught me about the spirit realm. He said this, the spirit realm only operates on demand. Only. It will respond to demand. He said if there's no demand, there's no commensurate supply. So, like the principles we taught, if you draw near to the Lord, what happens? He draws near to, to you. Based upon your desire, God will reveal things to you. Thomas says it like this. You choose the kind of life you want. Thumb often says you choose the kind of life you want based upon your press. He calls it the press. Based upon your press into the realm of the spirit, so will God respond to you. 
And then your responsive obedience to what you've, uh, what's been revealed to you will determine the quality of your life and the measure of God's blessing upon your life. Amen? And so um, I want to encourage you that let's maintain our passion. Let's maintain our passion. Tell you never maintain your passion. Now, I've been, I've been speaking on, on Passover principles. Now, I'll, I'm not going to be too long. At least I plan to because I want to pray. I just feel, you know, I've been praying uh, intensely in the car almost every morning. I get up. The morning starts there at half past five with the first meeting to the admin staff. So by half past four, I set my alarm to wake up and uh, be automatically focused on what to say to that group. There's a devotion that follows immediately. Then the meeting with the pastor started eight to half three. There's a six to seven meeting also with the neighbors. So it was literally like three or four platforms you have to think and focus for. And um, I'm amazed at how quickly God is accessible. I want to encourage you, God is not far. Um, it's a mindset that we have that we have to struggle and press into the into the most holy place. No, we, we live in that realm. I've been far more God conscious than I've ever have been before in my life. I prayed for many of you even while I was there, focusing on the assignment there, focusing on issues here, back home, etc. And so prayer is, is ever present. It's your spatial sphere of existence is the spirit domain. And the thought that has been so uh, dominant on my heart there was that God is the father of my spirit. So I keep saying it here. At one time, at one of the nights in the bed, I went to sleep saying that over and over again. I said, Father, you are the father of my spirit. The spirit that I have was in you and I was in you before time began. Randolph's spirit is actually the godness in Randolph. The word Ab or Father is progenitor, source, begetter. Things come from Him. Right? Things come from Him. Listen carefully. Things come from Father. Every good, James says, every good and perfect gift comes where? Comes down from the Father of lights. One of the meanings of Ab, Abba, like I said, is a source. It means He who is the originator of stuff. So, for example, Brandon, you have a spirit. You are spirit, soul, and, and body. But the spirit you have, God actually took a parcel, a part of him as spirit, and he put that in you. Okay? And the thought is just um, exploding in my thinking. And it's, it's giving me understanding of so many scriptures. So many scriptures. And we will reveal that to you in time. But I think also... That coming out of Egypt, we're teaching principles of Passover. I think also that coming out of Egypt is coming out of a fleshly soul realm. It's a departure and an exodus from living life as a natural man. Right? The natural man. Living life being soul-oriented. Functioning by reason and not by revelation. Right? Many people live in the fleshly, soulish environment of their lives But I want to encourage you, be a spiritual man. And uh, your headquarters is your spirit that must configure your thinking in the soul. So that in your body you can live obediently unto the Lord. If you're not going to be spirit sourced by the Father and let that be 
the point of origin from which you flow out from in life, then um, disobedience will easily cripple you because your soul is going to step in and you're going to reason yourself out of obeying God. Let me say this clearly. You will reason yourself out of obeying God because your soul is so rich in natural thinking. But the, he who has the mind of the spirit obeys what the spirit dictates. Not so. For the carnal mind, we read these scriptures in Romans 8, for the carnal mind is what? Is enmity with God. Right? And it cannot know the will of God. But I want to encourage you. Things that God is going to talk to us about and lead us into, I believe, in the near future will not make natural sense. If you're not going to leave the, the fleshly, carnal realm, I want to submit to us, brethren, you are going to be perhaps claim, claiming to be relevant because you, you're in a congregation that espouses or hopes to espouse present-day truth. And we say we are progressive. And we look at others in denominationalism and we point fingers and say, see how far they're behind. But really speaking, if you truly put on lenses, there are some people in denominationalism that are streets ahead of some people in so-called progressive churches apostolically. Hmm? We don't, we don't um, condone where some people are in terms of not keeping current with where God is. All I'm saying is, if you claim to be frontal, if you claim to have superior doctrine, then you must demonstrate it by a superior life. Not so? Otherwise, your claim is invalid. Otherwise, all you've done is you've acceded mentally to the truth. But the truth hasn't become a revelation in your life that alters your, that alters your behavior. So remind your neighbor, you are spirit being. Israel left Egypt, and Egypt is a land of bondage. Not so? It's a land of limitation. It's a land of, it's a land of uh, restriction. Um, and please remember this. The movement out of Egypt was a movement out of slavery into sonship. Remember there were slaves in Egypt. No? They worked for 430 years building a pharaohic empire. They exited that land. The Bible uses language like this. God said to Pharaoh, let my son go. Let my firstborn son go. We know the scriptures. Let my son go. So what was the objective of the exodus? The bringing of the son out. God's objective in releasing Israel from Egypt is the recovery of an identity. It's all about the recovery of an identity. In the language used, this is Exodus 4. And Numbers 3.13, in the language used, God says, Pharaoh, let my son go, comma, my firstborn son, that he might what? That he might serve me or worship me. So the two issues, the one is identity and the one is destiny. The one is identity, the other is function. And I said this to you in the past, you will never fulfill your function if you don't know your Identity. Understanding who you are is critical to what you must do. Don't seek to do first. Seek to come into a fullness of understanding of who you are. So songs like we sang, Here I am. I'm a son of God. As he is, so am. So am I. As he is, so am I. If you are a son, who's your father? Come on, who's your father? God is your father. 
So, here I am, I'm a son. If your sonship identity is fully recovered, you know what it means? It means your understanding of God as your father has been restored. Right? Understanding God as your papa, daddy, intimate, protector, provider, nourisher, will never leave me, will never forsake me, will never abandon me. All those concepts, those are thoroughly restored to your thinking. Hmm? If you truly understand God as your father, you will never worry another day. Listen carefully. How do I know that I fully embrace God as my father? You know what? Matthew says it plainly. Matthew chapter 6. Do not be worried for your life. What you shall eat, drink, or what you shall wear. For look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. Um, but your heavenly father takes care of them. And not one of them falls to the ground without him knowing the lilies of the field, etc. Right? And then he says this, then, how much more important are we than them? How much more shall your heavenly what? Father take care of those who are his children. But seek ye first the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Right? But I just like the phrase where it says, how much more shall your heavenly father take care of you? Oh, you of little faith, it says. Hey? I want to encourage you. You see, we can espouse much, but when the rubber hits the road, then we know who's your father. Right? And... Um, I, I, I had to walk through, we had to walk through much in the past two or three years. We were tested in this reality. Right? We were tested in this reality. In the face of meeting dire need, then you know what kind of faith you have. Then you know who is my source. Is Abba, is Papa my source. I want to affirm this to everyone here this morning. God is your father. He'll never abandon you. He will never leave you. But he wants to demonstrate his fatherhood to you. Right? Remain father focused. Remain father fixated. You know, I'm, I'm thoroughly amazed. I did a perusal of John in the color. I'm thoroughly amazed at how father fixated Jesus was. The father was his world. Jesus became the son of man to teach the sons of men how to function as sons of sons of God. I do nothing unless I see my father do. I say nothing unless I I hear my father say. They even said to him at one time, good teacher. You know what his response is? No one is good except my father. No one is good except my, except my father. In John 8 he said, my father has taught me what to say and even how to say it. He said, I can do nothing of myself. The works I do, these are the works of my father. At one time they praised him. What excellent doctrine. He even said, the doctrine I have is not mine. It is my father's. Talk about a man whose world was his father. You just read the Gospels. I challenge you. Do a cursory perusal. 
of one of the Gospels. In other words, a speed read. Not, not intending to meditate on anything, just to a speed read, get an overall perspective. Take your pen or your highlighter and just highlight every time Jesus talks or references his father. You know how father-focused he was. The father was his protection. The father was his security. That's been my world now. I'm honest. I'm being honest. This has become my new preoccupation. My new preoccupation, my new obsession, if you want to call it an obsession. I want to be completely obsessed with God as my father. Amen? You know what? When Pilate said to him, do you know that I have authority to execute you? Do you know that? Jesus' simple answer is, listen guy. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. I didn't say listen guy. But I just think that the confident man he was is, listen here. You have no authority over me except my father permits it. What confidence? You're, you're facing execution. You're facing the greatest legal authority. Romans, the Romans had colonies. And they governed territories. You're facing the might of the Roman Empire. And you've got the guts to say, you have absolutely no jurist. You can't do me nothing. In other words. Right? In Wentworth we will say, you can't timber me. Why? And he was, so, he was so convinced. He said, if you have any judicial, executive authority over me right now, it will only be for this reason that my father has chosen to momentarily grant you that privilege and which he will do. Jesus knew the outcome. Which he will do just to facilitate his will for my life. Amen? I want you to walk out of this meeting out of the service today. You leave those doors. Say it a hundred times if you have to. I'm a son of God. God is my father. I'm a son of God. God is my father. I'm a son of God. God is my father. I've been saying before I sleep, Father, you are the father of my spirit. You're going to resource my spirit so powerfully. My soul will have no chance to rebel against how you completely enveloped my world in my spirit. I can face the greatest threat when I go out there. But unless you, Father, permit things, nothing will happen to me. If something does happen, it will be by your divine permission because you want to accomplish a definite purpose. Amen? So tell your neighbor, let your Father be your world. Please remember, you see, the exodus is not simply an exodus from a land that incarcerated people for, 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 for a lot of years. The exodus, I want to remind you, is coming into an identity. Let my son go, God. God is saying to Pharaoh, you've bound the mentality of my people. You've kept my people as slaves. They don't know who they are, but I'm going to take them out and I'm going to unveil myself to them as father because he uses the language, these are my, these are my sons. These are my sons. Amen? I decree and declare unto all of you, you will never worry another day. You will never worry or be anxious another day. When you are father focused. 
when the Father has marinated your world, when the Father determines your environment, you will never worry another day. It's coming into a groan. I told you there were four processes that determine or govern the timing of the Exodus. I said last week uh, there was a prophecy given to Abraham in Genesis 15. God told him after 400 years, I mean, he didn't even have a son yet, but God already told Abraham, the nation born to you will be incarcerated for 400 years, but I will deliver them. And God says, I will deal judgmentally with the nation that imprisons them. You know what I feel God is doing now? God is judging everything in you that holds you captive from your identity. God is in a murderous mood. God, what God said to Abraham, or to Israel, to to Pharaoh rather, he said, if you don't let my son go, what will I do to your firstborn? I kill your firstborn. Firstborn for firstborn. Let my firstborn go. Otherwise, I destroy your firstborn. Contemporary application of that for you now, where we are today is, God is about to deal with every mindset that prevents you from coming into your firstborn identity. How will God do that? Sometimes he permits us to suffer. Right? The suffering of the Lord is the suffering that God permits to come our way. Right? The administration of the baptism of suffering is an economy that is administrated by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What did John say? I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to unstrap. What did John say? He said, he, who's he? The son, he will what? Baptize you with? With fire, with the Holy Spirit, and with fire. The baptism in the Holy Ghost is personally administrated by the Son. The baptism in fire, which is a baptism of suffering, is also administrated by the Son. Why the Son? Because the Son lived as a man, and he suffered as a man. And the Bible says in Hebrews, that Son though he was, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. One way or another, you will learn obedience. The Father loves you so much, He wants to get you to a place of obedience. When He permits suffering, it's to mature the nature of His Son in you. Every, I know that's an elementary doctrine, by the way. It's Hebrews 6. We're supposed to be going on to perfection, but some of us are still suffer, struggling with elementary doctrines. The basic, the foundation. We will discuss again, I think, the elementary doctrines because they're so key to going on to maturity. I want to, if you don't understand suffering, the purpose behind it and why the Father permits it, every son, what does Hebrews 12 says? Every son that he loves, what does he do? What does he do? Come on, talk to me. What does he do? He chastises. The chastisement of the Lord must not be viewed as the punishment of the Lord. The chastisement of the Lord must be viewed as an expression of the love of the Father. Not so? Let me just say this. Everybody will suffer. The righteous and the unrighteous. 
In fact, Paul said this to Timothy, all them that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. Sometimes you suffer because of your own disobedience, not so? And sometimes you suffer because of your your obedience. You suffer because you don't obey God's principles. And sometimes he permits suffering to get you to a place of obedience. For son though he was, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. But also, when you do the right thing and you behave righteously, you're not exempt from this baptism. It comes upon all sons to do what? To teach us obedience. So, there was a prophecy. Everyone say prophecy. And I think the signaling of this series is a prophetic announcement that God wants his son out. Out from limitation. Out from the flesh. Out from the soul. Out from any system that seeks to prevent your coming into sonship. God wants his son released. Hmm? Tell your neighbor, I'm coming out. Sing the song if you have to. (laughs) I'm coming out. I say that not in jest. I'm so serious when I say this. I'm tired of living the Randolph life. I'm tired of living a life in the soul. I'm tired of thinking as a man. When God expects me to be a spiritual man. I am leaving Egypt. I am coming out. Amen. There's been a prophetic word released over this house. It's time to mature. It's time to progress as a son with God as your, God as your father. I want to encourage you, if you know God as your father, you will do daring acts of obedience, knowing that my father will not fail me. Tell your neighbor, God will not fail you. Remember that verse I shared with you from Joshua, I think last week, I shared it on the group, God will not fail. My father will not fail me. Amen. Come on, tell your neighbor, just obey. Some of you are finding it hard to do certain things. Now, listen carefully. Now, I'm of the view, now, that. My inability to obey God tells me there's a crack, a dent, a deficiency in my understanding and relationship of Him as Father. Not so? Because if I truly know Him as Father, it will be effortless to, to... Obey him, not so. So failure to obey means I'm not confident yet in my relationship with him as my daddy. Right? You know what children are? They sometimes don't have a clue of some of the struggles the parents are going through to provide for them. They know, they just get up, breakfast will be ready, the lunches will be made, they'll even have pocket money, and they're gone. That's how children live, not so. But we must be, live like that as children of God. Father has it all. Father will take care of it, of it all. Secondly, listen carefully. I said to you there was the making of Moses, which I don't want to go through now because of time. Thirdly, there was the sin of the Amorite nations that had matured by then. Sin was, you know why God released Israel at that time that he did? God said, because by the time I take you out, in the nations that you're going to go to dispossess, God says, for by that time, the sin of the Amorites 
would have matured. In other words, God says, and I need you as a standard by which I am to judge other nations. I need you as a standard by which I will inflict judgment upon all the nations of the earth. You see, God is unjust if he simply meets our judgment without a standard in a people. The standard in the people must be this, that a people have imbibed the standard of God so much, the standard to which they have come to, listen carefully, will judge without the people judging. You've got to understand this. The people who have become the standard don't judge. The standard that they become will judge. You don't need to condemn the world. The world's sin already condemns itself. But for God's judgment to be meted out, all you must focus on is becoming the standard by which God is authorized to judge the non-compliance of others. So Paul says it like this. I'm quoting 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of, to the pulling down of strongholds, bringing into captivity every thought and every imagination to the obedience, even to obedience. It says to the obedience of Christ. And notice what Paul says. And God will judge, listen carefully, not God, it says we, we will judge all other disobedience when our obedience is complete. Right? So God needs completed obedience to judge all other disobedience. Think about what God said to, um, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. What God said about Noah. Remember Noah built an ark? We read it now. Um, from Genesis uh, 6 or 9. But in Hebrews 11, by faith Noah being warned of God about things not yet seen, in reverence did what? Prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Notice, what condemned the world? It says, by which what he did condemned the, notice, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. What he built condemned the world. What you build in your life becomes a standard that judges everybody else. You don't need to point a finger and say, uh, and, and judge people. Not so. You don't need to do that. All you do is become the standard that exposes the error and the sin in, in others. If you are the light, darkness will dissipate. Amen? So I want to encourage you Become the standard of judgment. And then, what I really want to focus on, and time has run away again, um, the groan. Everyone say the groan. I told you last week, God responded. Let's read Exodus 8, Exodus 3, verse 8 and 9. God responded to Israel to deliver them simply because of a, of a groan. An internal groan within them. Exodus chapter eight verse chapter three verse eight and nine. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing of milk. Have I got the right verse? Verse nine. Yes. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has done what? Has come up to me. 
Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. So in this verse, why does God say, I'm about to take them out? There is a cry. There's a groan. So there was a prophecy. There was the preparation of Moses as a leader that took God 80 years to prepare Moses. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years under, under Jethro in the wilderness. Moses comes prepared. Thirdly, the sins of the Amorite nations need judge, judgment and God needs a people to bring them out by which he judges everybody else. But the last factor is, God says, I'm also responding to a cry. And I think this is the missing link in the church today. There's far too little passion for your maturity. See, the cry was, take us out. And what does coming out of Egypt mean? Coming into an identity. There's far too a feeble cry for the fullness of sonship, for our maturity in God. All right? Now, just let me get to my notes quickly. I want to just give you a few more scriptures than what we did um, last week. Go to John, John's Gospel. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. I want to encourage you. The groan in your spirit must be a prayer. And I said to you that the groan in the spirit can never be if in the soul there is still carnal complaint. So carnal complaint in the soul is a satanic substitute for a Holy Spirit induced groan in your spirit. You can never groan in the spirit if you're carnal in the realm of your, in the realm of your soul. Right? Because all the groans are functions of spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit groans. Not so? The Holy Spirit groans. Let me just read this to you. Romans 8.26 In the same way the Spirit helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself does what? The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Right? So whenever you see groan, you always have the intercession, the prayer. Right? Groaning's too deep for words. The Spirit groans within us. We sang earlier that creation is groaning, not so? Romans 8 verse 19 says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for what? For the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glorious liberty of the children of, of God. Listen carefully. This last part. The creation itself will also be set free. Is creation in bondage right now? Yes. What is creation waiting for for its own liberty? Son. Right? Creation's cry is for its own release. But creation itself knows we will never be liberated until sons of God arise in the earth. Right? So, don't hold up creation's bondage for too long. Creation responds to the sun. Right? And remember when Cain killed Abel? What did God say to Cain? Now when you try and plant and farm, the ground will not respond or yield its strength to you. Right? What you see, if, and this dawned upon me early this morning, if I am a son 
a spiritual man. My world will reconfigure itself around me to adjust to my identity. Everything around me will start recognizing he has a son of God coming. So let's respond to him. Right? Cain, Cain's image of the son was marred because of the murder of his brother. Now the ground doesn't even respond or respect him. If you want creation to cooperate with you, I believe God will even change laws, policies, procedures, just to accommodate your identity of sonship when it pitches up. Because the world, creation, is groaning. The grain or the, the groan of creation will be answered by the revelation of the sons of God. Right? So every time sun is revealed, guess what is healed? Your world. If your world is in sick, if your world is sick right now, even your, your, your micro world, your space, your work environment, all I would ask you to do is manifest sonship, manifest sonship, and see how your world starts to change to respect who you are in God. Amen? These things are real and it starts to, to happen. So the water respects Jesus and allows him to walk on it. Creation respects the Son of God. Not so? We, we taught you these things. You can go ask a fish for a coin and pay the Romans taxes. Remember Jesus said one day, they need to pay taxes. Just told Peter, go catch a fish in its mouth, get the coin and go pay the tax. <laughs> Everything in creation will simply start to respect the image of the, of the sun. Okay? But when the image is marred, creation doesn't respond with resource, with provision to what the sun needs. Okay? So creation's groaning, the Holy Spirit is groaning, and um, verse 23 of Romans 8 says, We groan. Everyone say, We groan. It says, Not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, we ourselves groan with in ourselves. Watch. We ourselves groan with within ourselves, waiting eagerly for what? What's our groan? The adoption as sons, comma, the redemption of the body. Do you know your spirit is regenerated? Although it still needs to be matured, your soul is being saved transformed by the renewing of the mind every day and your body will be saved. When will this body be saved? Come on. When the Lord Jesus returns. Not so. At his coming, the Bible Paul says, this vile body will be changed. This incorruption put on, sorry, this corruption put on, incorruption. This, this mortal put on, everyone say immortality. When you see this word, you can put the immortality. Redemption of our body. Paul is saying, we're going to break the tape of pain, sickness, and death, and we're going to enter the realm of immortality. Contextually, this is what this verse means. The groan in the sun is waiting to break the tape of bringing the body to where the soul and spirit would have arrived at that point in time. So that spirit, soul, and body are preserved complete at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Not so? I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. Complete when? At the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Faithful is He who promised, we will also 
who will also do it. Now, if the groan within us is a press toward immortality and the breaking of the death, and you know what? Death is the last enemy, the Bible says. It says death is the last enemy that must be, that must be conquered. Right? For me then, the push toward immortality is a push toward finalizing the purposes of God attendant with his son. Everyone say finalization. Finalization. So then I interpret this as follows to make it like applicable to our modern day world now, today, for you now where you are. Although immortality will be experienced at a point in time, only when he returns. But I can have a groan within my, within my being and the groan is a push towards God finalizing every aspect of his purpose to my, for my life. The principle is here, groan for the program to be finished. Groan for finalization. Groan for resolution. Groan for the thing to be wrapped up. Are there still things in your life in abeyance that need to be resolved? Are there things in your life that you know are God's purposes and God's will for your life, but they need to find practical expression in the earth? Are there groans like that? There must be a groan within the sun. Now let me just say this to you. The Holy Spirit is groaning. Creation is groaning. But it says we too also. There are three groans in the earth right now. Creation, the Spirit and the sons. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established. A threefold cord is not easily broken. So I want to encourage you. Tomorrow morning or tonight, when you position yourself before Papa, Father, and you pray before your Father in heaven, the groaning in you don't think it disconnected from creation. The groaning in you don't think it disconnected from He, the Spirit of truth, that's actually groaning in and through you. You are not alone in your groan. Come on, tell that to someone. You are not alone in your groan. So when I pray... Now when I pray, I, I realize I don't, yes, I know where two or three shall agree as upon touching any one thing, it shall be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. I know I have to join with the saints to sometimes pray collectively, but even if I'm alone and my groan comes up as a prayer before the Lord, I know I have the witness of the Spirit. I have the witness of creation that is groaning. And as I pray and as I groan, I don't groan singularly anymore. I groan corporately, commensurate and in tandem with creation and the Holy Ghost. Amen? You see the groan, a groan is, it implies a never satisfied condition. Not so? Until the thing is attained, the outcome is attained. A never satisfied condition until the outcome is attained. And I want to encourage you, never settle until you reach your goals in God. Never settle. Never give up in prayer. Like that friend who went to the other friend at midnight, remember last week? It's inappropriate. The Bible actually in the Greek says he was shameless in his pursuit. Don't give up. Don't give up on the groan until you hold the result of what you want in your in your hand. Now in John 5, let me close with this. In John 5, time really runs away these days. I don't know where. 
organize a whole day, one of these days. John 5 and verse, what did I say? Verse 6. This is the man who was 38 years at the gate. Beautiful. Remember the story? For those of you who did ABC, this is your first lesson in ABC. Dr. Siggy's program. And he was, he was there at the pool for 38 years. The house of Bethsaida, I think. Bethesda. Right? And uh, remember at five porches... And the, every now and then the angel would come in, stir the waters, and there was, the Bible says, multitudes of infirmed people, sick and palsied. And there was this, 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 this man there. So Jesus came and saw him, and the Bible says this, when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had been there in that, in that condition. And Jesus said to him, do you want to get well? <laughs> Duh, look at me. Why do you ask the question? Is Jesus being sarcastic? I mean, do you come to a cripple for 38 years and still ask him, do you want this? What is Jesus implying? You've become so passive. You've become so complacent. 38 years in the same condition? And you know what the guy says? He offers some excuses. He says, firstly, the angel come once a year. To stir the water. Only once in 365 days is the only chance I have. And whenever this happens, everyone is pushing towards the pool. He says, and just about before I'm about to jump in, somebody else jumps in before me. Jesus was in essence trying to establish, do you have any desire left to be healed? Because, listen guy, if I don't get your cooperation... To for wanting this thing. There's no way you're going to get anything from me. Huh? Jesus first, is, first establishes the desire of the man to want to push through for his healing. Huh? Now I want to ask you, how desperate are you? How desperate am I to want breakthrough? To want the healing? This man was manifestation oriented. Once a year, an angel, drama, stirring water, jump in, get healed. But you know, Jesus was the word of God, the eternal Logos was standing right in front of you. And Jesus said, take up your bed, go and walk. Take up your bed, go and and walk, right? Go and walk. Jesus took the man from being manifestation oriented to being word focused because the word of God was standing in front of him in the flesh, and the word of instruction was was given to him. Compliance, then, obedience simply demanded that he take up his bed and, and walk. Some of you just need to obey the principles that have been, have been espoused to us. And your paralytic days are over. <laughs> your days of paralysis are over. Right? Don't wait for the next big conference, the next big school the next big visit from the next major apostle or prophet that comes to the city. Your breakthrough is in the word. Your breakthrough is in your own hand. Amen? Your breakthrough is at hand and it's in your own hand. Just obey the word and you will take up your bed and you will, you will walk. Amen? How desperately do you want it? You know what the Bible says? Uh, Jesus slipped away from that point onwards there and they questioned the man, who healed you? Right, on the Sabbath, 
<laughs> Who healed you? What was his name, etc. After a while, Jesus found him where? Come on, talk to me. Jesus found him where? Where? At the bar? Where? At the pool club? Where? On the track field trying to test his new legs out? What was this man's priority? Come on, what was this man's priority? The temple. Right? Found his feet back to the house. Found his feet back to the house. Jesus met him there. You know what Jesus said to him? Now that you are healed, go, but do not sin again, lest a worse thing come upon you. Don't. Jesus gave the man a warning. Listen, I've just gave you breakthrough from 38 years of historical bondage. Now that you are healed, don't interpret your healing as permission for you to go back to your life of sin. I feel this is a warning for all of us here this morning. You know, there's such sanctity and sacredness coming back to the house of God. Yes? Holiness. Purity. Here's a warning to all you all, to all of us here. If you are still dabbling in sin, thus saith the Lord today, be careful lest the worst thing comes upon you. The Lord says today that His mercy has been abundant to us. He's been gracious and patient. Now that you're going to have breakthrough, don't interpret that as an opportunity to go back to your former condition. But find your feet in my temple, declares the Lord. Find your feet in the right place. You know what Proverbs 28, I think it's 28, uh, 13, thereabouts. Uh, I gave you this verse before and I remind you, remind, remind you of it again. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and does what? Forsakes. In other words, do not go back to the sin, forsake it. It says he will find mercy and compassion. Right? One of the greatest hindrances to prosperity is concealed sin. It's sin generally, but sin that is concealed means uh, you have no intent on repenting so long as you never found out. So long as it's hidden, it's out of the view of everyone. So long as it's concealed, then it's fine. One of the repercussions of that is he whose sin is concealed will never prosper. He who conceals his sin does not prosper. But he who does what? Who con? If you admit it, not only confess to it, but you say, never again am I going back there. Never again. Today's the last day. Bye-bye. I'm going, but I'm going to sin no more. You see, Paul called this completing your obedience. So that by your standard of obedience, God can judge all other expressions of disobedience. Everyone say purity. Say righteousness. Say holiness. I want to keep the house clean. I'm determined to keep the house clean. Amen? You know, Paul says there must not be anything. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, How be it, I hear that there are some things among you, things that are not even named among the Gentiles. He says, How come you... And he wrote to them specifically, How is it that a son... He's sleeping with his father's wife. It's in the Bible in Corinthians, read it. He says, I am shocked that you entertain things that not even the Gentiles will do, but you Corinthians, you're accommodating them. What was Paul doing? He was cleaning up the 
the house. Amen? Tell your neighbors clean up time. Amen? Warning. Tell your neighbor warning. Warning to us. Warning to us. May you shiver and shake with conviction at the thought of entertaining a sinful act. May, may the word of the Lord resound in your heart. And you say, no, I cannot afford that. No, not now. No, not after so long. Not after where we have come to. Amen? I'll talk more about this next week. You know why? When they celebrated the Passover, you know what Moses expected of the people? Get each man to your own house. Get into your own families. Shut the door. Take a one-year-old lamb. Spotless. Unblemished. Take unleavened bread. Right? Not leavened bread. Next week I'll explain to you what leaven is. There are five different symbolic applications of the concept of leaven. One of it is sexual purity. He says, or sexual moral or, or morality generally, right? And so the bread that we eat must not be leavened, it must be unleavened. You know what the Bible says? A little leaven will taint and leaven the, the whole lump. So we're going to painstakingly search for the hidden leaven in the house. I want to make an announcement today. The spotlight of the Holy Ghost right now, I release this as an apostolic decree over this house. Right now, the spotlight of the Holy Ghost goes to shine, to reveal the hidden leaven, the concealed sin. I declare by my word that the Holy Spirit, if it still persists, may God the Holy Ghost unearth it and bring it to the fore so we can deal with it. Amen? Tell your neighbor we want a clean house. We want a... A clean house. Right? The father would actually do this, you know that? Whenever they reenacted the Passover, the mother would hide leaven the previous night and they reenacted a, a kind of a ceremony. The father would go, lights off and shine a light and look for the hidden pieces of leaven in the house. I submit to you by the Holy Spirit that that process has officially begun. Amen. I'm not trying to breed fear in, anybody, in, anybody, in anyone's heart. I love you. I really do. And I only want the best for, for us. Amen? It's time to come into the fullness of our, of our sonship in God. Amen? And become the standard that God wants in the last day. Amen? Tell your neighbor, be the purest vessel you know. Be the purest vessel that you know. Amen? Be the purest vessel that you know. There's mercy, there's grace. Even if you trip up from time to time, let me just say this, God is faithful and just to forgive you. God checks out a man's heart. He checks the... If, you know, I'm not perfect. I think nobody is perfect. Okay? No one's perfect. But at least have a perfection of pursuit after the things of God. Don't lay in the same position. 38 years. I am 47. I don't want to be 57, 10 years from now. And we're still preaching the same things to the same people. <laughs> right? It's time to mature and time to, to grow up. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. 
Come on, lift up your hands. I pray great grace to every brother, every sister, every family. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be your portion. May, may, may God the Holy Ghost empower you. May you come into the fullness of your sonship identity. May you come into a new revelation of God as your Father who loves you, who will resource you. He will prote- protect you, provide for you. Your Father will preserve you. Your Father will not fail you. May you, your knowledge and revelation of who the Father is grow to leaps and bounds. May you understand that it's now time as a prophetic declaration of the release of your identity out from the realm of flesh and soul and into the realm of spirit. Your Father is the Father of your spirit in Christ. I decree and declare to you that today is the start of a new groan within you. A groan for your total liberty. A groan for your total maturity. A groan within you that says, I am a son. God is my father. I want to come into the fullness of this revelation. I will join creation's groan. I will join the groan of the Holy Ghost within me. And I will cry for my identity in God. And when the Son of God emerges, the creation will heal itself. I declare unto you this morning, church, that everything in your world is about to reconfigure itself to recognize the sun that is rising up within you. The thing that was a struggle before will no longer be a struggle anymore because the Son of God is emerging in new strength and in new power. Your world is about to alter because of a new identity. Things in your world start to respect you. Things in your world start to recognize. The ground starts to respond to you. I declare it over you. I declare a new phase of prosperity over every person, over every family, over every house. I declare grace for this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we remove every trace of leaven in the house, we will not conceal sin that we might prosper. May the blessing of the Lord be your portion. May the Lord bless you in the city. May the Lord bless you in the field. May the Lord bless you when you come out. May the Lord bless you when you go, out, go in. May the Lord bless your down-sitting. May the Lord bless your uprising. Blessed will be the work of your hands. Blessed will be the fruit of your labor. Blessed will be every attempt that you make to push God's purposes forward for your life. The Lord says, I will visit you with more than your, in the, your initial efforts. God says, although you've initialized things based on your, uh, upon your own capacity, God says, the way in which I will respond to you will be far greater than your initial attempt. I will bless you, declares the Lord. I want my son, let my son go, says the Lord, to every pharaohic principle within us. Let my son go. Let my son go. I need my son back that he might serve me. I need my son back that she might worship me. I need my son back that she might become the exact representation of my fatherhood in the world. We accede to this. We say yes, Father. We will eat the whole lamb and we will come out in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.